our reading this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 35. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you are awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart. And let her not capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who gives in to his neighbor's wife None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's, when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all his goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He does not ever destroys himself. He who does destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonour, and his grace, disgrace will not be wiped away, for jealousy makes a man furious, and he, will, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation, and he will refuse no you multiply gifts. Let's just pray as we come before uh, God's word and ask for his help. Father, we thank you that um, your word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And so we pray now in these moments um, that by your spirit, you would illuminate your word to our hearts, uh, that you would soften them, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to believe, Father, and that you would help us to embrace your word as good and life-giving and to obey it with all the help that we need by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please do keep uh, Proverbs open in front of you. Gordon's just read the, the, the section in chapter 6, but we're going to be in chapter 7 together this morning as well, so it's going to be extremely helpful for you um, to keep that in front of you um, as we move through the passage. Picture a married man. He's at his work Christmas do. He's had one too many drinks and he finds himself alone with his female colleague who he has been flirting with over the past year and who he has begun to fantasize about. She's sitting there flattering him with her words. She's stroking his hand. He knows his wife isn't expecting him home until later on that night, and she invites him back to her flat for extra drinks. Picture a woman. She's been sober for over a year, 
but one night she ends up walking past the pub that she used to be a regular in. Someone smoking outside recognizes her, they grab her attention, and they invite her in for a drink. Picture the teenager who has a friend at school whose parents are away for the weekend, so they throw a party. This teenager knows that there will almost certainly be alcohol and drugs there, and their parents are also away for the weekend. They know if they go, their parents never have to find out. Picture a man. His spending has got out of control. He's racked up major credit card debt, but he sees this new car. He wants it. He must have it. The next day, a letter comes through the post, another offer from a credit card company. He rings the number on the letter. All of those scenarios really represent the invitation to temptation. The invitation to temptation. An invitation which sounds great initially, but almost certainly will end badly. In chapter 6 and 7 this morning, we once again meet the adulterous woman and we hear her invitation of temptation, her invitation to commit adultery. And as we thought about in chapter 5, she represents not just uh, marital or sexual unfaithfulness, she represents more generally spiritual unfaithfulness. Because in the Bible, spiritual or marital adultery is a picture of spiritual adultery when it comes to us and, and God. In many ways, she is lady temptation here as much as she is the adulteress. And if you've noticed, we can't get away from her. Okay, three times in Proverbs, this is the third time we've met her, and you're like, Lee, really, are you preaching on this again? Do we have to listen to this again? But it's a reminder that we can't outrun temptation. That though we must flee temptation, we will never outrun it in this life. We will keep meeting this woman. We will keep facing temptation. So we need to be prepared over and over again to say, no, it doesn't just take saying no once. We will keep meeting this woman. We will keep facing temptation. So we need to realize that and to learn how to say no. We need to get wise to her. That's true for us as Christians. We will encounter temptation uh, on a daily basis. Temptation to go against God's good word uh, and against his life giving ways. And we need to be wise to how temptation works and the consequences of temptation if we're going to be able to battle it well. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Let me invite you to consider how following your desires isn't always a good thing. In fact, often it's not. Most times it's not. Following your desires is not a good thing. We were made to live by God's moral standards. And when we don't, as we'll see in this passage, when we don't, it's disastrous. Yet in Jesus, there is forgiveness and hope for our foolishness, the kind of hope that we've just been singing about. So the big thing we're going to see together this morning in these two chapters is this. We need to get wisdom to guard ourselves from the daily dangers and devices of temptation. We need to get wisdom to guard ourselves from the daily dangers and devices of temptation. First thing we see together this morning is this. I must be wise to the adulterous woman by guarding my heart against her. So you see in verses 20 to 24 of chapter 6, you also see it in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 7. Let me just read those verses from chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. 
Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Why? Well, same reason at the beginning of chapter 6. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So as we encounter this passage, we are to, again, I want you to see this this morning, both as um, the, the, the being guarded against temptation to adultery and sexual immorality, but also thinking about sin and temptation in, in all of its kinds. Last week, we thought about spending traps and laziness and conflict. So think about spiritual adultery, which is a major um, application here of this passage, but think also gambling and laziness and addiction and, and gossip and unwise friendship. She is representative of spiritual unfaithfulness as much as she is sexual adultery. So how do we prepare our hearts to meet her? Well, we do that by binding our hearts to a better woman. That's really what verse 4 in chapter 7 tells us. How do we guard, how do we begin to guard our hearts against this woman, against the adulterous woman? By binding our hearts to a different, to a better woman. Verse 4 says that, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your, my, your intimate friend. The reality there is that the more we bind our affections to lady wisdom, to woman wisdom, who we'll see more of next week, the less appealing the adulterous woman will become. We begin guarding our hearts, guarding our lives by binding them to a better woman. We thought about that a few times already in Proverbs. We thought about how when it comes to wisely resisting temptation and foolishness, learning wisdom and avoiding foolishness aren't enough. We need a better love. That's what we're being invited to do here, to have a better love, to love a better woman. Who is this woman that we're binding ourselves? Well, we've been seeing it throughout the whole series. Wisdom, ultimately, here is Jesus. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is wisdom itself. He is your family. Your sister, verse 4, talking about family there. He is your family. He is to be your intimate friend. He is the one who we are to bind our hearts to. And as we increasingly do that, the, the appeal of the adulterous woman will become less and less. It won't go away, but our hearts will be more deeply guarded. Tim Chester says this in his book, You Can Change. He says, when our joy is in Christ, then the treasures and the temptations of this earth look like pathetic alternatives by comparison. When we bind our hearts to a better woman, when we bind our hearts to Jesus more and more than the temptations and the, the pathetic alternatives of this, of this earth uh, become ever more evidently worse. So we bind ourselves to him. He who first bound himself to us, don't remember. He himself who sought us out and bound himself to us. When we, when we do that, we, we do that by tangibly binding his words and his teaching to our hearts. We bind Jesus' words and his teaching to our hearts, and that means binding all of Scripture to our hearts, hearts as well. So how do we go about that? Well, these verses tell us. Verse 20 in chapter 6, listen to those who teach you God's Word. Listen to your father and to your mother. Listen to godly people. We've been thinking about that. Listen. Verse 21, bind them on your heart. Bind Jesus' Word. Bind God's Word. Bind biblical truth to your heart. We see that in chapter 7, verse 3 as well. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We are to internalize God's truth. We are to memorize it. We are to repeat it. The images we have there is verse 21 that is of how close we are to keep it. We are to tie it around our neck. It's to be that close to your hearts. We're to tie it around our necks so it sits on our, our hearts. 
we're to have it on our, on our fingertips. In fact, in uh, Jewish culture still, you see that they take these things quite literally. They have um, little leather boxes that they tie around their, their heads and their arms that contain actual pieces of Scripture. That doesn't mean you need to go that far. But the principle there is that they bind God's Word as close to their body as they can. How might you and I do that? Well, we read God's Word. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We put it in front of us. Maybe that means your uh, phone or your uh, computer screen. Maybe it's not the tablet of your heart. It's your actual tablet that you use. You have verses in your car, on your desk, in your home. Do whatever you can to have God's Word close to and in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's how we guard our heart. We store God's word up in there so that we might not sin against him. Chapter 7 verse 2, we are to make God's commandments and his teaching the apple of our eye. We still use that saying, right? It means we make it the most precious thing in our lives, the most loved thing in our lives. That also pictures their protection of our eyes, which are the gateway to our heart. We make God's commandment, we make God's wisdom, we make God's teaching the most precious thing in our lives and the most protective things over the gateway to our heart. Bottom line, okay? Do everything you can to get God's wisdom embedded in your heart. Do everything you can to get God's wisdom, God's word, Jesus' teaching. Do everything you can to get it embedded on your heart keep it, forsake it not, bind it, tie it, treasure it, write it, whatever you need to do. With the help of the Holy Spirit, get God's wisdom embedded in your heart. Why? Well, verse 22 in chapter 6 tells us what happens when we do that. It will be with us. It will walk with us. It will watch over us. Walk, and it will lead you. Sleep, and it will watch over you. Sleep really represents maybe when we're most vulnerable. Even then, if it's bound to your hearts, it will watch over us at nighttime. And the first thing that will be spoken to us when we wake up in the morning is wisdom, because it's embedded in our hearts. It's the first thing we hear in the morning. Verse 23 tells us it will serve as a lamp and a light in the midst of darkness. And darkness really here, as we'll see later on in chapter 7, darkness represents temptation. We need a lamp and light. We need a lamp and a light in the midst of darkness, in the midst of temptation. Otherwise, we're going to go off track. And if you look at verse 23 in chapter 6, the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Sometimes binding this wisdom, these words to your heart is going to hurt, okay? Sometimes binding God's word to your heart is going to hurt because there are things in there that are going to have to correct you and reprove you and discipline you as well as me. But we need to do that. We need the reproofs of discipline. We need correction from God's Word in order to keep us walking on the right path. We might not always like what God's Word has to say, but it's what will give us life. And ultimately, why we need to bind God's Word to our hearts is to preserve us from the adulterous woman. We see that in chapter 6, verse 24, and then in chapter 7, verse 5. We need to guard ourselves to be kept and to be preserved from her smooth words. What's so dangerous about her? Well, that's what we see next. I must be wise to the adulterous woman by guarding my heart against her, recognizing that she will scorch me. Chapter 6, verse 25 to 35. 
We must be wise to the adulterous woman because she will scorch us. So we're to get our heart ready, ready. we're to guard it by wisdom, uh, and we also need to be soberly shown the consequences of what will happen when we pursue her, when we give in to her temptation. That's one of the main ways that Proverbs works in order to, to help us not go down the wrong path. It shows us what will happen if we do. It shows us the future. It shows us the consequences of what happens when we don't resist and flee temptation, when we give in to the seduction and the invitation of this woman. And where does Proverbs say adultery begins? Chapter 6 doesn't begin with kissing another woman, doesn't begin with paying for prostitution, it doesn't begin with sleeping with a married woman, it begins with the heart, it begins with the lust in chapter 6 verse 25. That's where the danger begins. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. That's the front line. We thought about that earlier on this year. Matthew 5, 27 and 28 talks about this. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And God's always required purity of heart. It's not just about the act. So he's always required purity of heart. We, saw, we see that in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. The act of sexual adultery, the act of spiritual adultery, whatever form that would take, is just the tip of the iceberg. An iceberg of sinful desires, an iceberg of lust, of fantasizing that has been built up over time and indulged in over time. An iceberg of looking, of lusting, of flirting, of fantasizing, of scrolling. The battleground begins with our hearts and the battle plan is clear. Look in verse 25. Twice it says, do not. Do not let her capture you. Do not desire you in her heart. It's trap language again, isn't it? Don't let her get you. Don't let her trap you. Look away. Don't desire her beauty in your heart. Why? Why are we not allowed? Why should we not let her capture us? Verse 26 in chapter 6. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. If she captures you, she will kill you. She captures you, she will kill you. What he's saying there in verse 26 is that it, it doesn't cost much to sleep with a prostitute. But you sleep with a married woman, it'll cost you your life. Okay, he's not saying here, okay, just to be clear, he's not saying that prostitution is somehow more morally acceptable than sleeping with a, a married woman. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, we see that um, when we use our bodies, married or not, to sleep with someone outside the context of marriage, we're essentially um, bringing Christ into that. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 15, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Okay, so he's not saying that prostitute is somehow more morally acceptable here. Nevertheless, adultery as a married man or adultery with a married woman is more costly because of the damage that will come. Broken vows, wronged spouse, broken home, particularly if children are involved. 
So that's what happens when we let her capture us. And the rest of chapter 6 here plays out the consequences. Okay, we need to see these. We need to hear this. We need to soberly consider what will happen when we choose to not just commit adultery, but when we choose to give in to temptation. First consequence, inevitable punishment. That's what you see in verses 27 to 29 of chapter 6. Okay, can a man carry, um, can a man carry coal? Let me just find him. <laughs> can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The answer is no, of course not. Can someone walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Of course not. You will get burnt. If you play with fire, you will get burnt. Okay, maybe this time of year it's you're likely to get burnt from the barbecue. If you put your finger in the barbecue, you will get burnt. If you touch your wood-burning stove in the winter, you will get burnt. It's inevitable. It will happen. And when we give in to temptation, when we give in to Lady, the, the, the adulterous woman, we will be punishment. It's inevitable. That's what verse 29 tells us. None who touches her will go unpunished. And the picture of fire there tells us it's not just punishment, it's painful punishment. Getting burned hurts. So often when it comes to temptation and sin, we think, I can hide this, I can get away with this, I won't get burned. And especially when we sometimes feel like we're getting away with something over a period of time, there's been no consequences, we begin to think, I'm kind of immune to this, nothing seems to be happening here, I'm, I'm kind of begin to feel a bit in, invincible with it when it comes to the, the consequences. But the reality is, you will, you will be punished. It will come back to you. You will get burned. What will that punishment look like? Well, the, the rest of the things that we'll see in chapter 6 here, but ultimately, everything we do is before the sight of God, as we thought about a few weeks ago. Ultimately, the punishment will come from God. Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor among all let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There will be punishment. There will be painful punishment. Second consequence is financial ruin, verses 30 to 31 in chapter 6. The picture there is of a thief who steals because he's hungry and is pitied by the public, which we can resonate. He steals out of hunger, out of need, but he still has to pay his fine in full, verse 31. The pitied thief, even he still has to pay the full penalty, the full fine. If he still has to pay the penalty, then so will the selfish, adulterous person. If he's financially ruined because he has to give away all the goods of his house, how much more will be the one who destroys himself through adultery? When it comes to adultery, it can look like losing money through maybe divorce proceedings, or maybe you lose your job as a consequence of adultery. Other sins can financially ruin us as well. Gambling, tax evasion, addiction ruins you financially. Spending beyond your means, laziness, as we thought about last week. inevitable punishment, financial ruin, and verse 33 as well. There may be physical consequences as well. Verse, the beginning of verse 33, he will get wounds. The CSB Bible literally says he will get a beating. There may be physical consequences. 
Maybe not that it's wrong for someone to come and beat you up, but you might get a beating for what you've done. You might get a beating for pursuing the wrong path. From others, you, you might get wounded by God through discipline. You will experience physical consequences maybe because you hide your sin. We see that in Psalm 32. David uh, harbors unconfessed sin and he, his body feels it. It's like God's hand's been heavy upon him and his strength is dried up. Psalm 32 verse 4. Maybe someone will come around and give you a beating because you owe them money. You've got into stupid debt. Maybe quite literally you commit adultery and the, the, the person you've committed adultery with, their spouse comes around and, and gives you a beating. Maybe when it comes to addiction, you destroy your body. There's physical consequences to giving in to temptation. The next one is permanent public disgrace. Verse 33 as well. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. We won't be pitied like the thief who steals out of hunger. We will face social shame. The reality is, and it's a hard reality to, to swallow, but the label of adulterer is basically impossible to shake off. There is forgiveness, there is redemption. In Jesus, our shame and guilt can be taken away, but there is a stigma to those things and a consequence that we may carry for the rest of our lives. Even among non-Christians, okay, where marriage maybe isn't held up in honor. Even amongst them, even in our world, there's still a significant stigma to this sin. Think of Philip Schofield. Adultery wasn't his only sin. Think of Bill Clinton. Every time he stands up and speaks, it comes to mind. Think of King Charles as he gets coronated. It's hard for people to watch that without thinking about what he's done. Permanent public disgrace. And the last thing we see here is a merciless response, verses 34 to 35. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Don't be surprised if you go down this road, if you give in to temptation, if you commit adultery, don't be surprised when a furious response comes your way. Verse 34 tells us, you will not be spared. Okay, this isn't endorsing personal vengeance, okay? Vengeance belongs to God, right? This isn't endorsing that you and I have the right to go and exact vengeance on someone if, if, if we get caught into these things. But the, the commentator, Bruce Walkie, says that what's going on here is that there's a legitimate righteous execution of punishment by a competent authority. This man, this jealous husband, he's not taking matters into his own hand. He's taking matters to those who are uh, responsible for executing punishment, punishment, but he is not seeking any mercy here. He wants the full weight of the law to come down on this guy. That's what's going on here. He's saying that the full, full weight of the law will, will come down on you. And, and if it doesn't in this life for reasons of injustice, it will if you're unrepentant when you stand before Christ on the day of judgment. Verse 35 as well. Look at the end. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. You cannot buy your way out of this. If you go down this road, if you give in to temptation, you can't buy your way out of it. So often we see that in our world, don't we? We think that money can just cover over the cracks. We think money can get us out of trouble, but it doesn't. We will get punished. 
the summary here, verse 32 in chapter 6, you'll be destroyed. If you go down this path, if you listen to this woman, if you give in to temptation, there will be consequences. If it's adultery, if it's actual marital adultery, you're destroying yourself and others. It will eventually ruin you. If you're in the midst of that right now, let these consequences warn you and make you end it now. The cost of hiding it far outweighs the cost of uncovering it. Humbly confess and repent fully before God and before those you've wronged. With the help of others, get a plan together to prevent it happening again and to grow in godliness. Seek the help of other Christians and humbly accept the consequences because there will be. Find forgiveness and hope in the gospel moving forward because it is there. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There can be restoration and redemption. Go to Jesus for that. Whatever sin we might be entrapped in or temptation we might be facing, we need to consider as we are in- encounter that the consequences that lie beyond it. Stop looking just to the momentary satisfaction. Look beyond to the future consequences. Giving into temptation is costly. And given the destructive nature of sin, we must be wise to how it works in order to resist it. Okay, we need to know our enemy. We know the consequences, but when we're faced with this woman, when we're faced with temptation, we need to know how she works in order to best resist her and then to run away from her. That's the next thing we see here. I must be wise to the adulterous woman. She will seduce me. If you look down at chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 6 to 20. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you. I seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. We maybe feel like we've heard this all before, okay? Chapter 5 really was telling us what happens when we go down this path, when we give in to this adulterous woman. Chapter 7 is showing us it, okay? Solomon here, that God's Word is saying, I've told you what will happen just to make sure you know what's going to happen if you go down this path, if you listen to her, I'm going to show you what happens. He's doubling down on this. He's expanding on this so that we will know for sure. Okay, it's like when, when I've been barbecuing over the last few weeks, I tell Joseph, okay, don't go near the barbecue. It will burn you, okay? He kind of listens to that. 
But if I was to say to him, if, if you don't believe me, let me show you a video of what happens if you were to touch the barbecue. It will burn your hand. It may have permanent consequences. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, I've told you what will happen. I've told you how this will play out. Just to make sure you know, just so you don't get cocky and think you can handle this, here's what's going to look like. And notice verse 6 and 7 there in chapter 7. He's watching from the window. He's watching from the window. He's giving the son the opportunity to witness this from the safety of distance. Watch it from here. Don't be the guy down there. Same for you and me this morning. Take this opportunity to watch from a distance so that we don't end up like this young man falling into a trap. Two things we see here, the young man's senselessness and the adulterous woman's seduction. Look at the young man, verses 6 to 8. Often when we give in to temptation, or maybe in the case of adultery, it's like, it just happened. I don't know how it happened. It, it just happened. I just, I just found myself kissing her. I just found myself doing that thing. It didn't just happen. Verses 68 show us that. The young man lacks sense. He hasn't stored up wisdom. He's walking around senselessly. He hasn't guarded his heart. He hasn't listened to other godly people. He hasn't listened to his parents. He's lacking sense. It's his first mistake. Second mistake in verse 8 is he's got too close. He's passing along the street near her corner. We saw back in chapter 5, the, the commandment, the warning, keep your way far from her. Don't go near her house. What does he do in verse 8 in chapter 7 here? He goes near her house. He takes a road to her house. Instead of fleeing from temptation, instead of doing everything he can to get away from it, he flirts with it. That's his second mistake. His next mistake is he's walking alone. He's isolated. He's no accountability around him. He's no godly influence. What that reminds us of is that isolation increases our chances of giving in to temptation. Isolation increases our chances of giving in to temptation. It reminds us that if we are tempted by certain things when we're alone, don't be alone. There'll be times when that's unavoidable, of course, but if there's certain areas of your life where you're tempted to be alone, make sure that you can do everything to, to not be alone, to provide some presence or accountability or godly influence. It reminds us that we need to make sure that we're in Christian community and that we have godly friendships. The more isolated we are, the more vulnerable we are to these things. His fourth mistake is he's out at night, verse 9. The picture here is not just of physical darkness, but of moral darkness. So much of our sin happens at nighttime, doesn't it? When we think we're under the cover of darkness. When we think no one's watching. When we think no one's around. Getting drunk, watching inappropriate content on our TVs or our devices, sleeping around. We think darkness covers it, but it doesn't. God sees it. Therefore, we need to keep our lives in the light as much as possible. That's the young man's senselessness. It didn't just happen. He wasn't storing up wisdom. He got near her house. He was on his own, and he was out at night. He's put himself in a really precarious position. 
And then we see the adulterous woman's seduction in verses 10 to 20 of chapter 7. She's wily of heart. This is not a stupid woman. She knows how to get you. She's crafty. Verse 10, she's dressed seductively. She's bold. She's forward. She makes the first move. She seizes him, verse 13. We get close to temptation. It'll grab us. She intoxicates him with a kiss in verse 13 as well. She flatters him with her, her words, I've come out to meet you. I came to seek you eagerly. I've found you. She flatters him. She offers him a, a sensual experience. Do you notice how much of his senses she, she plays on? I, I've got food for you. That's basically what verse, um, verse 14 is talking about. She's made sacrifices at the temple. She's got leftover meat. She's got food at home. Hey, I've cooked a meal for you. She offers him food. She appeals to his touch with the Egyptian linen. She appeals to his smell with the, the perfume. And then in verse 18, she offers him satisfaction. Come and have your fill. Come and experience everything you've ever wanted. All night long, right to the morning, come and have your fill of love. She offers satisfaction. And then verses 19 to 20, she's clever, right? She's clever. She offers him security. And just in case you're worried about getting caught, my husband's not home. He's on a long journey. He's taken money with him. He's going to be away for a while. Come back to my house. He won't be coming back. She's basically saying there'll be no consequences. That's not true. In 2015, there was a website which basically facilitated married people having an affair. It's called Ashley Madison. The tagline of the company was, life is short, have an affair. They promised an anonymity. But in 2015, the site was hacked and everyone's details got out there. You will get caught. There will be consequences. You cannot hide these things. The general picture here really is, is of a young man who's just completely overwhelmed and dominated by the adulterous woman. He's completely overwhelmed and dominated by temptation. He doesn't say a word here the whole time. He doesn't try to fight her off. He doesn't try to fend her off. He's completely dominated by her. She's sunk her hook into his heart. She's gone. A heart that isn't guarded, a heart that has fantasized about this moment over and over again. She has hooked it. That's how temptation works. That's how crafty it is. It appeals to our whole body. It appeals to all of our experiences. It, it, if we get too close to it, it will overwhelm us and dominate us. We are weaker than we think we are. And if your heart isn't prepared, you will be persuaded. That's what we see next. I must be wise to the adulterous woman she will slaughter me, verses 21 to 27. If you look down at verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. I don't think he took much persuading, but she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And verse 22, all at once, he follows her. She's gone. She's persuaded him. She's compelled him. And now he's following her. And he thinks he's going to experience a 
night of intoxicating sex, he follows her back to her house. But, verse 22 to 23, he's like an ox going to the slaughter, a stag caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. A bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He's going to his death here. The ox pictures a strong beast that is now powerless. He thinks he's strong, but he's really weak. The stag illustration there reminds us that what's about to happen to him is fatal. The stag is caught, and the arrow will pierce its liver. The liver was considered to be the source of lifeblood. To pierce the liver was to die. And the bird illustration there is really reminding us of how fast it can happen. The bird rushes into a snare. It happens like that. It can happen overnight. It can happen in one moment. She promises pleasure. She brings death. That's what these verses so clearly warn us of. And then the father... They're standing beside the window. The father's got his arm around the son, showing him what's happening, telling him what's showing him the, the senseless man and showing him the consequences. He turns back around to his son, but not just to his son, verse 24, and now, oh, sons, plural. He's turning around to us and he's saying, listen, do not let your heart turn towards her. Do not stray into this woman's path. Because, verse 26 she has killed many a victim. Don't think you'll be the exception. Don't think you can dodge this. Don't think you're immune to this or you're invincible to this. Don't think you can keep doing this. She has laid, she has slain, she has killed many a victim and her house leads to death. I want you to picture for a moment what that woman or that house represents in your life right now. That temptation that is in front of you or most entices you. The house you'd most like to walk into. The woman you'd most like to be intoxicated with. Think of the scenarios we thought of at the beginning. Maybe it's sexual. Think of the married man being flattered by his colleague. Maybe for us it's a family friend or someone in church. Maybe it's substance-related. Think of the woman being tempted to drink. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe we want to drown our sorrows over too many fish suppers. Let me tell you, obesity can destroy a home as much as anything else. Maybe it's a friendship that will lead you to do things that go against Jesus' commands. Maybe it's financial. You're getting into stupid debt so you can buy that new car or to purchase something that you're craving but you don't really need. Here's what Proverbs would say to you this morning. Don't go through that door. Don't go near that door. Don't let your heart turn there. Because if you do, it will lead ultimately, if you're unrepentant, to death. Lee, give me some hope. Give me some hope. We face temptation. Here is our hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Firstly, a warning. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. But, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Giving in to temptation is not inevitable. By God's grace, through changed hearts and with the Spirit, we can fight temptation. We can resist. We can flee. As Christians, we need to be reminded that God's wisdom and God's word, his moral law is written on our hearts. So yes, we are to write it on the tablets of our hearts. We are to get wisdom in there. But there's are we already have new hearts with God's law written on them, empowered by the Spirit. We are able to obey. A word to those who've committed adultery. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Think of David. Think of Psalm 32, Psalm 51. He repented and he found forgiveness and grace. A word to those who have had adultery committed against them. Find your identity in Jesus, not just in your marriage. Goes for all married people. Goes for all married or unmarried people. Find your identity ultimately in Jesus. Your marriage wasn't meant to carry that weight. Find your identity in Jesus. And when it's hard to trust your spouse, when it's painful, when, when, when that distrust comes into your heart, just remember the trustworthiness of Christ and allow you to grow therefore in your trust of your spouse. Remind your heart that even in the hardest things in life, God is not out of control. Seek godly counsel with how to move forward. And if your spouse genuinely repents, learn to forgive them, recognizing that reconciliation is a process. Surround yourself with gospel truth and godly people to help you walk through those moments where the pain will resurface. And know that Jesus and the gospel has the power to heal your heart, your marriage, and your home. Nothing is beyond the redemption of Christ. And for all of us who've been spiritually unfaithful and adulterous towards God, which is true of all of us, the whole story of the Bible is of a God who sends Jesus, the bridegroom, to redeem the unfaithful, adulterous bride. That's like the, one of the main threads that runs through the whole Bible. God, in His love, sent Jesus to redeem sexual fools, to redeem sinful fools uh, like you and me. He, he seeks us out. He, he embraces us. He washes us. He cleanses us. He removes our sh- guilt and our shame from us, and He loves us. He purifies us. That's what He promises to all those who come to Christ in repentance and faith. He, he removes our, our shame and our disgrace by taking it upon Himself on the cross. For those who are in Christ, the disgrace is not permanent. He dies for our spiritual adultery. He goes down to the chamber of deaths in verse 27 so that we never will have to. He goes down to the chambers of death in verse 27, but he comes out the other side so that we might live eternally. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's what God has done for us in Christ. That is good news. That's gospel motivation to get wisdom on our hearts in order to guard them from the daily dangers and devices of temptation. Let me pray for us.
Father, we come to you as those who have all been unfaithful. We come to you as those who still struggle with temptation and sin. Father, we admit our weakness. We confess where we have sinned and gone astray. We come before you and ask for your forgiveness and ask for your help to keep battling the desires and the temptations of our flesh. Father, please restore us. Please redeem us. Please heal us. We thank you that in Jesus, you have done that. You are doing that. We thank you that you loved spiritually unfaithful people like us and have washed us clean. Please continue to cleanse us and renew us. Please help us to walk alongside one another in these things, Father. Help us to infuse gospel wisdom and godly wisdom into one another's hearts as we seek to live this life that you've called us to on earth now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.